Welcome, and thank you for tuning in once again to the Farmer Forum podcast. As host of today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ari Tuller, CEO and co-founder of Ello Health, a company working tirelessly to personalize healthcare and empower people to reconceptualize food to being the nutrition, the medicine that it can be. Our conversation is wide-ranging, but I think you'll agree it's pretty fascinating, not to mention pertinent and on point. Certainly, there should be a little something for everyone. As ever, thank you for listening. This is web editor Nicole Raleigh, and today I have with me Ari Tula, CEO and co-founder of Elo Health. Welcome, Ari. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. So in the United States, 60% of the adult population have one or more chronic conditions, and diet-related chronic conditions are the number one cause of death. So it is that Elo's big vision, as it were, is to transform food, turning it from being a cause of disease to being medicine. To do this, Elo uses blood and digital biomarkers, cutting-edge AI, the year's buzzword, and expert guidance to deliver smart nutrition products calibrated for individual needs. This personalised nutrition is based on an in-depth analysis of a person's health goals, dietary history, and biochemistry, and utilises health and wearable data to provide the right nutrients at the right dose to help improve health and performance. However, before we sort of knuckle down into that, Ari, tell us about your journey to this point. What got you so impassioned about preventative care, as it were, that you were driven to create Elo at the time that you did? After all, am I correct in translating Elo as being finished for living? Yeah, correct. So life or or living is the mm-hmm. is the equivalent for for the Elo and Finnish. Uh, so my my background, um, I'm from uh, Finland and uh, moved to the US about uh, 16 years ago. And um, we had family health issues in my my family. My wife had a had a thyroid uh, tumor in her neck about mm-hmm. 22 years ago, and uh, that led into operation that you know a size of this tumor was taken away, part of the thyroid with it, and um, she was medicated for life with medications that uh, made it impossible to get uh, a family, and um, and that was. A, you know, difficult thing to hear when you are, you know, you found a spouse and you know you 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 want to build a family at one point. So we spent about a decade on this idea of um, could we do something about it? Could we find a way to overcome it? And uh, in the end, in our case, uh, food turned out to be medicine. We were in the U.S. and we found a doctor who had a really good understanding of the nutrition and had been worked with different autoimmune disease uh, patients and uh, develop a diet that you could actually lower inflammation and be able to let the body heal itself. And we were able to get out of these medications and finally have a family. So for, for me and you know my family, you know, food really is medicine and we have you know two children to, to prove. And of course, while we were fighting this battle, you know, we also went very deep into understanding the macro healthcare and uh, and later I became a healthcare entrepreneur. So I went from being a tech entrepreneur, uh, working on the mobile gaming side into healthcare. And the first company I built uh, about uh, 12 years ago was called Better Doctor. So we built a system to help people find a doctor. And then uh, I run a bigger company in the same space called Quest Analytics to help people really build doctor networks. So I spent about a decade in this access to care problem. And the more you talk to, 
the leaders of healthcare in the US. I, I you know, spoke with all the health insurance CEOs, the health system CEOs, the, the government legislators, and they all said the same thing that, you know, we can't medicate more. We can't spend more on, on doing another procedure. We have to find a better way to keep the population health in check and help people, you know, tackle these things before they become illness. And often when they become illness, it's too late. So I've been hearing that every day for the last decade before I started ELO. And I really decided that I want to spend the next decade of my life to try to build uh, one system that could maybe help people to prevent illness. Uh, know before you get sick. Because in healthcare, we have this fundamental problem. This is global problem that, you know, you have red and green. We can take a biomarker test like, you know, cholesterol, or we can take a diabetes marker like A1C, and you're going to be green all the way until you are red. And when you are red, you're going to be medicated and you're going to be chronically sick. And then you're going to be labeled for that. So that has to change. We have to find a yellow area because nobody becomes sick overnight. It takes a decade. So why can't we you know, tackle this before people are, are too far along? Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that deeply personal journey. And I'm so pleased that after all your troubles, it worked out and you were able to start a family. So taking everything you've just said and finding that yellow area, let's move on to to food, to nutrition, what exactly does food as medicine mean then? How would you sum it up? I know we've talked preventatively. What what can people do in order to adopt that ethos into their lives and live in that green, if not yellow area? Yeah, so I think, you know, 2000, 2000 years ago, Hippocrates uh, stated uh, that uh, food is by medicine. And um, I think, you know, there was no Twitter at the time, so we can't really know for sure what he said, but Let's assume he did. And um, I think this idea has been with us for a long time. And uh, you can just think about some of these interesting things, our cultures in the world, like uh, most cultures today have a fasting component, part of the religion or the, the way how they live the life. And, um, and today, I mean, what we do as humans, we are just eating all the time. We are afraid of being hungry. I mean, we are not eating three times a day, but we, we are snacking throughout the day. And uh, I think the food system today is so different than it used to be. So let's take, you know, some numbers that maybe people don't know. Uh, 70 years ago, we spent about almost 20% of our income in food. Today, we spend less than 9%. We used to spend about 9% on healthcare 70 years ago. Today, we spend 25%. So every dollar in the U.S., uh, you know, only nine cents is going to go into food, it used to be, you know, more than double. So food has become absolutely uh, inexpensive. Yes, we have inflation now, we are all paid about the fact that, you know, prices are going up, but food has never been as affordable as it is, as it is today. So the system of food has become really efficient. We can feed 8 billion people. And don't forget that we have about 30% of the food waste today. So we could easily feed 10 billion people with the food amount today. And a lot of the food is really this monocrop, low in, in vitamins, minerals, nutrients. And a lot of the food we eat, I mean, some people eat more than half the food that is this sort of hyper-processed, ultra-processed food that we now know by science that it causes cancer, it causes obesity, it causes diabetes, and it causes early death. So we just have built an efficient system to feed the population, the growing population on the earth. And we really haven't thought about too much about the health aspect. 
And if you take any given crop today, you pick a potato or tomato, it probably has half the nutrients today it used to have 30 mm. years ago because we have just been making everything bigger, faster, and, and so forth. So I think food, in my opinion, is interesting because it is causing today most of the illness we have. And most of us are going to maybe lose around 10 years of life span, even more health span. Lifespan means when you're going to die. Health span means how many years you have that you can live independently. You can live life that, you know, is normal life that you can walk, you can do things. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people, they are getting now sicker and the last years are miserable. They can't really do things they want to do. And in the U.S. today, it's really interesting trend that most people haven't talked about. But since 2014, we have lost four years of health span and lifespan. Think about it. We have lost four years. I mean, that never happened before in the world history, except in the Black Death in Europe and the Second World War in the war times. And it hasn't been a trend in other countries. So you, in Europe, there's a small dip in COVID, but we talked about half a year. But in the U.S., we are coming down the train. And it really is because we are the ones who invented the modern diet, the Western diet, with the processed food. So that all sounds dire, but the good news is that you can take almost the same food and you can turn it into medicine. You only need to change, you know, how you eat your breakfast, how you do your lunch, and even the dinner, if you don't change it, we can probably keep people 10 years more. But the problem is that we are now addicting people, the children, so early that, and I'm very worried about this, and I talk about this a lot in different places, that we haven't really seen the, the peak of this problem yet. The peak will come with the millennials who have been living in this world since they were five years old. Because in the U.S., we feed people with this processed food since people are four and up in schools. And, and those people are now getting older. And we are seeing now that the 35-year-olds are often unhealthier than the 65-year-olds who never lived in that world when they were having that pseudo-food as a, as a kid. So this is the, the dilemma. Like, How do we now re-architect uh, the food system? And our palate in a way that we could, you know, actually eat the, the real food, not this fake food that most of our most of us are eating today. Exactly. So coming away from the hyper-processed, the pseudo-foods as you dubber, um, Elo offers smart nutrition. Perhaps we could talk about this concept. I know it comes away from the sort of the natural diet that you've been talking about coming away from the hyper-processed. Smart nutrition is something slightly different. Can you tell me what it means? Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a technologist and, you know, there are many other people, you know, some people have millions of people, you know, following them and they are showing people how to cook food better. Amazing, brilliant ideas. And I, I applaud all of those. I'm not that person. I'm not writing books about this and getting, you know, I'm not rallying people in the streets to change the, the things. My, my, my way of doing things in the world is that I built uh, new ideas and I built, use the new technology to create things that can help people. And uh, I believe after being, a, you know, building games for a decade or more, uh, I saw that, you know, you can really change people's behavior by giving them these fun experiences. And, and the big underlying word there is kind of fun engagement and engaging experience. So what we are trying to do at, at uh, ELO, we're trying to kind of build this new concept of smart nutrition. So what is smart? You know, you have an iPhone or Android device, you have a watch, you have a maybe Tesla, you have a home that is smart. It means that they are personalized to you. It's getting better, you know, the more you use it. Your, your car is getting better, knows you better. Your home is, you know, getting the right temperature automatically. Your phone is getting better the more apps you have. Your friends are there. 
all this stuff. So same idea applies to the to the food in our opinion that you know can we make it such that you know it is personalized to you. So it's made for you who you are for your makeup. It's also precise. It's really grounded in real science. And then it also gets better over time. It's proactive. And uh, I believe, based on what I've seen in different industries, that we are willing to change behavior if we can measure the outcomes. If you can see a dashboard or if you can see you know, your steps or whatever you track, you can make a difference. Now we have hundreds, hundreds of millions of people today in the world who are walking 10,000 steps to get you know the movement uh, rings full. Why we do that? It's a game. I mean, we love playing games. But think about this: in the next coming years, we will be able to track in the same way your glucose, likely some other biomarkers in your blood, uh, right on your wrist, without having to prick a skin or take a blood sample. And that world is where we're building LO4 because at that moment there will be, you know, you eat the pizza that maybe you love, but that you're going to have all these things going red and it will tell you that this is not good for you. And I don't think you're going to take the pizza. You can do it, you know, once a month, that's totally fine, but you don't going to do it every day because you don't want to be on the red. So that is how I think, you know, the new ideas are going to be able to change people's behavior. And today we all know that we are eating stuff that is not making us healthy. We all know, I mean, in the US today, 80% of people are overweight. 50% are obese. Nobody wants to be obese. And we have, we have this society where we, we vilify people who are obese in, to some extent. And it's not really because of, you know, not having the willpower. It's not about they are lazy. It's about, you know, it's an illness. We don't tell people who have mental illness or ADHD or they have autism that, you know, you are lazy, you don't do. I mean, we have the sympathy, we have the empathy. And, and now I think we need to build the same approach into this obesity epidemic and say that you know this is a, an epidemic it is an illness and treat it like it's an illness and then i think it makes sense to build all these different tools around it to help people change behavior and what we also need because like i said it is very very difficult to change most people who are obese they likely don't have access to the great food nearby and how can it be that you can walk into a you know, fast food joint in the US and you can pay five bucks for the food and then you go to other place and you pay $20 for the salad? It just doesn't add up. We are supporting and subsidizing the meat. We are subsidizing the corn and the soy. And of course, we get what we subsidize for. So we have to take you know, government action, very difficult thing to do today. And we also have to maybe regulate and tax. Like in Europe, you know, many countries, most countries are taxing sugar in the US. You know, people have tried, very difficult to do. So there's a big activity that has to happen. But I believe that if we want to change this thing and turn the trap sector from getting more and more heavy and obese every day, we have to build tools that are helping us, you and me, take responsibility. We have to make a decision. It won't be anyone outside of, of our sphere. Yes, absolutely. So taking what you're saying, with behavior change, your mention of 10,000 steps. Yes, with the governmental action um, and the food deserts that need to be addressed where you can't even get fresh fruit and vegetables. It's just sort of a convenience store. Coming back slightly to the smaller steps that can be taken, focusing on the activity. Is it fair to say that the concept of food as medicine necessitates an addendum statement of in combination with exercise when you're talking about this change in behavior? I mean, I note that your website does focus a lot on endurance sports like running and cycling in combination with smart nutrition. 
Yes, yes and no. Um, I I believe that, you know, it, it's important to move. I'm not saying you have to exercise. I mean, many people think that, you know, you have to go running there. But, you know, you can't take, most people, you take them to a, to, you know, a track and put them to run. That's too hard already. So let's walk first and, and build these moments of movement into our day. That's why I like the steps idea, because it doesn't mean you don't need to go take fast steps. You can take slow steps. And my mom is taking, she's almost 75, and she's taking 10,000 steps every day. They're very slow steps. They were just here. But she's very proud about it, and it's really good for her. And going outside, going into the forest, those are really key pieces. Because if you think about the health holistically, we know really well what it means and how it is compounded. You have to have, you know, sleep is very key, maybe most important factor. The food and the nutrition is very important. I think, you know, the mental state, mindfulness and your stress level, very important. And then, of course, you know, activity movement is also one piece of it. So it's really a balancing of all of those. But if you think about how do you heal a person who is really sick at the moment, you're not going to put them on a, on a treadmill. You're going to start focusing on like, are you sleeping? And you'll find often that, you know, people are sleeping two hours a night. You have to fix that first. And then you think about like, are they stressed? Of course they're stressed. You know, they are scared and, and you know, they are, they're struggling. So how do you fix that? If you don't fix the mental side, I don't think you can ever fix uh, uh, the other fundamental problems that you have. Um, and I think why we do at ELO and why we started from this more active core of people, uh, we found that there is a group of people that we call, you know, this kind of quantified self, or you could call them a little bit obsessed about tracking everything in their life. Because we mm -hmm. wanted to, those people first who are already doing this, because I mean, we are, we are maybe first company in the world who started to do this in, in a certain way. So you, you know that the early adopters are going to be the people who already believe in this concept. And today, with, with the latest product that we've just got out, which is uh, basically customized 3D printed gummy vitamins, um, that is for everybody. We were just looking at the first you know, people who came in and bought the product. Uh, they are clearly more feminine. They are clearly older. They are clearly less active. So there's a huge amount of people who believe that you know, they don't get all the nutrients today in the food, so we can help supplement them. And at ELO, we started the company from this perspective of what can we do to prove that this idea is real. I mean, if I start from the meal delivery uh, or build a restaurant, it's very difficult to get that tracking component built because I want to validate my outcomes. So what we did, we built a system where we are taking people's blood work at the beginning. Then we give them personalized supplementation in the form of pills and powders. And then we have a coach, a dietitian who works with every person. And then we test again. And, and based on that learning for the last few years, we have seen that 80% of people, they are starting to improve these biomarkers that are really helpful for them. Think about, you know, your, your cholesterol panel, your A1C for diabetes. And of course, you know, many of the mineral, mineral vitamins that we are really uh, depleted today because of the nutrients in our food. And that validation has been helping us now to build a model where we can start taking it to more and more people. And I think, I hope in the future, in not in a too distant future, we can also go and, and think about meal delivery, uh, think about, you know, picking your restaurant meal automatically on an app, or even like, you know, getting groceries. But to get there, you have to have a system that people believe in, and you have to validate it first. So let's talk a bit more about those gummies, because they're quite an invention, if you will. So as you say, Allo Health provides a biomarker test, but the smart gummies, they're 3D printed gummy supplements for personalized nutrition. And 
with a frankly astounding 389 million possible combinations. They're custom made to align with an individual's health goals and nutrition profile. So I just give me the science, give me the logistics of being able to provide something like that, Ari. I mean, it is it is uh, not easy. So every product that Elo does today is uh, made to order. So if you and when you make an order, we take the data and information. It can be an assessment that we do, like a, in a doctor assessment when you go to the doctor's office, a questionnaire, or it can be a blood work that you do a finger prick into at home and then you send it to a lab with test the blood. Or it can be also you connect your wearable devices like your step counter or your Apple Watch or your weight scale or your blood pressure monitor into, into Elo. So we can take all of that data or only one component, and then we turn it with AI into the right model, what nutrition you need. And we use it to try to pick one or two areas that have the biggest impact on your health and then focus on those first. And it's nice because we have the dietitians in, a, in the team who are then also helping to communicate that to a person, a member. And uh, in the GAMI case, I mean, so that information is then coming from the, from the AI and it goes into our partner who is creating the gummies. We actually create them in um, in UK. So we found a partner, only company in the world who can actually do the 3D printing. And um, it's uh, it's quite a feat because you know they have basically 40, 50 different ingredients that they take and they print them into this seven layer cake gummy. And every layer is representing one pill. So you truly get a handful of pills into one gummy. And uh, we've been working with them for a year and a half now to make sure that the dosing is correct and the you know, flavors are great and all this stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud about this product because I think uh, there are 120 million people today in America and many, many, many more people globally who are struggling today to take the pills, the handful of pills, whatever. They don't love swallowing and they smell bad, they taste bad. And now we have this beautiful gummy that actually tastes great. You can pick eight flavors that you like. And it really is making this habit easier. Because we have a fundamental problem today in our healthcare systems that today, if you think about uh, drugs, about 50% of them are not taken. And it goes from the, you know, the antibiotics that you cut short by two weeks a week to even the cancer drugs that cost $200,000 a month. People don't take all of them. So if you go and, you know, look at the toilet water in New York, you can find that there's so much, you know, Prozac and, you know, you know, drugs in the toilet water today because people are flushing the the pills. So that is, I think, one problem that we are trying to solve. Adherence is a key piece. And with this gummy, uh, our problem is now more that don't take more than one because it's so yummy. Yes. And uh, we, of course, I was asking when we, when I saw this product first time two and a half years ago, I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is amazing innovation. And my question was that, you know, is this really going to be real? Like, can this really have the same impact? So the first thing we did with our partner, we run a study where we took the most common deficiency of vitamin D and we created the custom dosed vitamin D gummies. And we already had, of course, LO pills, custom dosed vitamin D pills. So we had two cohorts, gummy cohort and pill cohort. And we run it for 90 days and we saw the same output and outcome from the gummy and the pill. Only a difference was that, you know, 70% of people preferred the gummies. And they took them every day and the pills people sometimes missed. So clearly we saw that this product is far better and it likely has the same impact on almost all the nutrients. And uh, it's super exciting that, you know, this partner of us, they are also thinking about building the same modality 
or drug delivery. So what if you could have metformin and others in that same layer cake? Of course, you need to then be careful not to you know, make it available for some you know, children to have because they look yummy. Uh, but that would be a really powerful way to increase the adherence for also for medication. Gosh, it's, it's quite amazing. So let's talk, let's focus now on the technology side of it. So you were talking about the AI modeling of the data earlier, but um, Ello Health doesn't just offer these products online. Rather, in this era of digital health, you've also got an app. It's available on iPhone operating systems. So I was just wondering if you could explain the functions of the app for listeners and how this works with wearable health tech, perhaps. Yeah, so we're probably the first, you know, food company <laughs> or nutrition company uh, with an app. Maybe there are maybe one other one, but I mean, maybe the first or the second. So you might ask, like, why do you need an app if you are, you know, selling people supplements in a form of pills and powders and gummies? And then, of course, blood testing. So the, the reason why the app is so in, critical for for this, you know, use case is that the app is like we know what the phone is, you know, we all have a smartphone and it is the most important device of our life. I mean, you you walk out of the home in the morning and you forget your phone, you're going to come back. You forget your money, you don't care. You forget your keys, like, ah, I don't care. But you forget the phone, you're going to come back. That's how we are, we, are, we are like really deeply connected to our phones. So what the beauty of that device is that it's always with you. And the, the phone, of course, is also tracking some things. I mean, it is also a step counter. I don't know if you know, but you know, uh, if you have a phone with you, it's automatically tracking your steps, even if you have never, you know, done anything. So at minimum, when you download, you know, the Elo app and you connect that to Apple Health, for example, you get the steps and you get some other data from there. And it really becomes this sort of a gateway for your personal data, because with Apple Health, we can connect now all the wearable devices from glucose monitor to your step counter to your scale. And in the U.S., there's this very unique thing that we are one of the pioneers now, where you can connect also your medical record right into your Apple Health. You can connect your lab data right into Apple Health. And that data is something that is making it much different than, you know, because I can do a one blood test for you, but that's a one in one sample. But in many cases now we can get maybe 10 years of data from the Apple Health, from your blood work. You can have a trend of 10 years of, you know, for cholesterol. And that is really valuable when you build, you know, AI and predictive models. And that is something really unique that, you know, you can as a consumer also, it's very private and personal because you can always go and turn it off if you want. You can control. It's not like we connect to your hospital directly and get the data. We are connecting via the Apple gateway that you can control. So it has to be owned by your, it's your data. This data is the most important data you have in your life. And then, of course, you know, the app also gives two other benefits. One being that, you know, it's always with you. And we have a messaging system that you can talk to a dietitian. Of course, we, we hope, to, you know, in the next year to make that more and more automatic, where we can use AI and have a basically a nutrition chatbot there that you can talk 24-7. Maybe it can be a nurse bot as well in two years or three years when they get ready. So that's a really valuable benefit that, you know, you can always, you have a question about food and nutrition, you can always talk to somebody. You can take a photo, video, send it to us, we can respond in 20 minutes. So that's something people really like. And then lastly, I think one thing that we have done quite well is the adherence. So today, if you, you know, you subscribe to gummies, you're going to get notification at the right time to take the gummies and you can mark that they're taken. So you can remember that you have done this. You know, many companies have built uh, like a drug reminders. So we have a reminder for this. 
And then what we can also do that's quite unique uh, for the protein, for example, and why we what we built this for the active people. So if you are you know very active and you do a lot of you know workouts, you can get notification automatically after every workout that you do, and it will tell you when to take protein powder, for example, and how much. So we built this sort of daily feedback loop, and that only can be done if you have the phone. So it becomes like more personal. And now today, you know, many people use the LF every day. And, and that's, of course, a big benefit for, you know, having more dialogue, having more adherence. Yes. So fascinating, brilliant, fully supportive, moving towards personalized, not just medicine, but also the patient self-empowerment, as you say. I'm just wondering, there's recently been a sort of growing questioning of accessibility and equity when it comes to digital health technology. And you mentioned about this can be done if you have the app, if you have the smartphone. But given diverse factors such as an ever-growing ageing population, as well as those people who are from sort of disparate socio-economic backgrounds and maybe the availability of such items just isn't there, is there a way in which Allo is circumventing this challenge? So we are building the company, like I said, food as medicine. And I already kind of alluded a bit that um, the biggest need I think today is not at the at higher socioeconomic groups. It's more where we have tough time, you know, maybe accessing. So the good news is that everybody is connected to the internet, more or less. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody has a smartphone today. I mean, like we have, I think we now have 5 billion smartphones in the planet. So, I mean, pretty much everybody has one. So I think, I think you know, there are very few who have not. And I think, you know, if you look at the, the, the most addicted group today on social media, they actually are the elderly citizens between 70 and 80 years old. They are now, they finally got there and now they use eight hours a day. So I think they are equally more connected than any of us. Uh, so, and we are seeing, you know, people who are 80 plus, they are signing up to well as well. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the more, the bigger problem I think is the price. And of course, I mean, like we are only on iPhone today because we wanted to start from the iPhone has such a unique ability to connect and not there is an iPhone. I mean, most people have a smartphone uh, that's more common platform today. So, and we will be on Android soon, but the price point is challenged. I think, you know, our products are, are still fairly expensive. You know, the lowest price for the gummy or gummies monthly is $59 a month. You know, the proteins were $49 a month. So it's not, not affordable. The, the blood testing will be $159. So those are high prices for most people. And um, my hope and, and uh, ask, I think, for the government regulators is that once we go forward, maybe three or four years, and we have enough validation as an industry, I'm not talking about ELO, but I'm talking about the whole world and science, that food and nutrition can actually have an impact. I think we have to find a way to, to subsidize the food, subsidize programs like you know, meal delivery, subsidize uh, like a, a fresh uh, produce box deliver to people and give people access to food. I mean, that has to happen because we are spending. So one of the funniest things I, I have seen in, in the years in healthcare, and not fun, it's very tragic in a way. We spend um, something like uh, 7 billion on the SNAP dollars. These are the food stamp programs in the US. We spend about 7 billion of that support money into soda. And that seven billion likely will cost us hundred billion at the back of the envelope. So we use taxpayers' money to subsidize people to buy soda, and then we spend maybe hundred billion to treat these people. Like I mean, that's uh, that's the the, the the kind of definition of stupid, in my opinion. And we should just be a bit more smart on the way how we do this stuff. 
Because now most of the, and this is probably a global phenomenon, that most of the subsidies that go to food today for, for people who, with low income, they will go into bad food. And it's just stupid because, I mean, we at least have some sort of framework not to make it that way. So how do we go and help the people with the biggest need? I think we need to really put the price point down and we need to make the services easier to use because people with the, the biggest need, like I already said, they are, they are hurting. They are maybe working to, to, you know, different works. They are, they have no time. I mean, they, they are not really looking for these solutions. They might not have time to adopt a new solution. They might not have ability to travel uh, to other places. So we need to really go where people are. And, uh, but this is maybe one of the bigger problems of our time. Because my, when I take a step back on this always, and my, my, my wife is a, is a big environmentalist, and, and, uh, and we, we've been, that's one area we also, you know, as a family, we invest quite heavily. We think both that you know, we can't solve the global warming and the climate change if we don't first fix the obesity problem. Because if people don't have self-confidence, if people don't have positive outlook of future, why would they invest and make decisions for the next 30, 40, 50, 100 years? And now we have a lot of people who feel desperate and they, don't, they feel they're not in control. And I think that's something we have to first help people. We have to help people get and feel good in their own body, feel healthy. And then they can look at, you know, the future, think about the grandchildren. Many people can't do that today. Some very valid points. I'm just sort of processing everything you You've said there, and I'm thinking on that that word of future, Ari. So if these inroads that are being made, if all this is appropriated in that future, what do you envisage, say, in 30 or 50 years' time? Everything encapsulated. So that's taking in the grand scheme of food as medicine, the exercise or movement element, conjunction with support of digital technology, AI, the the whole package. Where are we going to be? What What's the the end goal. I'm a huge optimist, and uh, I I I spent uh, my youth with internet. I was one of the first people in Finland to get access to the web in the early '90s. Then I I spent you know many years at Nokia when we invented the smartphone before iPhone and Android. I saw that uh, happening right in front of my eyes. That you know we went from nobody having a smartphone now five billion people, and now we are in the middle of the AI uh, revolution that will be much bigger than the mobile or the internet. This will be in a, in a grand scheme of things, the same as, you know, human has invented few things, fire, wheel, industry, and AI. So mm -hmm. this is gonna be big. I mean, the biggest thing in your lifetime by far, and it will happen very quickly. And it will be scary, it will be messy, and nobody knows now how it will play out. Nobody knew that the first incarnation of the AI will be a, chatbot that can write poems and songs. We all thought about it would be a robot that can do the work. That was not the case. Our robots still suck. They can barely walk. But our AI language model can now write poems and, and operas. And that's pretty unbelievable. Nobody thought about that even two, three years ago. So my, my hope is this, that there was a Stanford study that came out this week. And it said that um, my daughter is five years old. And I had a, had a chat with her. And uh, the study said a five-year-old today has 50% chance of becoming centenarian, so living up to 100 years old. And that is a pretty awesome thing. And that's based on all those things you, you mentioned. Uh, they looked at the whole fabric 
of society. They looked at the innovations, they looked at different things. And they pointed out that there are many big list of problems that I talked about, but those will all be, they're all gonna be solved. That's how, how the world works. I mean, like, if you look at the world today, how many problems there are, you're gonna be like, ah, suffocating. But the fact is that, you know, we have, we are really good at solving problems as humans. And we will solve all those problems. And it could well be that, you know, many people are going to live 120 years old in 50 years from now. And it can well be that uh, many of us have life span much longer than today, but also health span. I think many of us can live up to 100 and have good life. And then it's the question is like, what do you do if you have 30 more years of good life? Where would you travel? What would you do? What does the work look like if you go to work at age 25? And you can work up to 80, 90, 100. What if you have 75 years to do work? Maybe we spent a decade of writing, you know, books. Maybe I spent a decade, you know, working with children. Maybe I spent a decade of going to, you know, Mars or something. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. And, um, and I think these problems are not that big in a way. And the tech that we are now creating will help. But we just need to all hope. If we are hopeless, then you know things go go wrong and there have been times in the human history when you know we went we went backward you know we before renaissance we went backward for 500 years so it's not always given that we can always go forward we have to make that happen absolutely that is an optimistic outlook and as you say hope that's that's whatever remains in the box and that's what will take us forward thank you very much for your time today hari it's been a pleasure so that concludes another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find out more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at, at Pharma Forum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.